You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject I have coming up for you is Yanni J.B. Christofferson from the Swedish outfit Grant Margus. The reason for the conversation is to promote their new album, which will be out on the 19th of April 2019. It's called Wolf God. So let's have a listen to what J.B. has to say. Here we go. Hey, J.B., what's been happening? Well, I've been talking uh, on the phone, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been punished by my two kids, and my wife and I were just having a conversation about how uh, little energy we both have for these things, and uh, not not the conversation I'm talking about, but being punished by our kids, okay? And uh, I was just thinking whilst I was dialing, like, we've got to ask about whoever created humanity, we've got all this fucking energy as kids and teenagers and young adults that we don't know what the hell to do with. And as soon as we're in our 30s and 40s and we've got all these adult responsibilities, we don't have the energy. We just don't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because uh, we're probably designed to die at that age, really. So Yeah, I don't think you're wrong, actually, on that one there. But then you you see these other reports by people like uh, that lean into a bit more of the religious shit and they talk about no our bodies are actually designed to live for 150 years and stuff and I'm thinking who the hell wants to be alive for that long and see all the shit that we're going to do you know like who wants to stick <laughs> well, around and watch us ruin the planet <laughs> well well will someone I guess um, either we will all be you know wiped out in 50 years or something or uh some sorry buggers will still survive and see what's left, you know? Yeah, did you see that pod? Oh, it was one of those things that came up on Twitter as a viral article. It was a pod for two people, and the thing looks like a giant steel pea. So it's like this big round ball. But they're saying in the advent of an apocalypse or the advent of some sort of catastrophe, get into that. So I'm thinking, great, you're going to die, but you're going to die of severe claustrophobia as well. So <laughs> sometimes I don't think they've really thought about these things. Like, who wants to stick around in a post-apocalyptic world, like in the movie The Road? Who wants to do that? Ah, uh, the ro- yeah, the the road was pretty grim. I have to mm. agree. Um, well, we'll just see what happens, won't we? We will. But in the meantime, we have wonderful albums like Wolf God to wrap our ears around. Now, John very kindly sent me across a reviewer's copy uh, a couple mm. of hours ago, so I've had it on in the background. Actually, and I, I like your stuff. I've always liked your stuff. You sound, you've always reminded me of a more relatable man of war. I hope that that comparison works, especially with the shit that's come out about bloody Carl Logan over the last few months. But Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you, you know, you know, the point stands though is that man of war have sort of become very pompous and you know bombastic in a bad way. But you guys have kept it on the straight and narrow in that you can actually listen to your albums from start to finish, and they they rational, they make sense. So, uh, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you've got this wonderful tradition of mid-paced heavy metal, which I just love, and you've got these these Norse lyrical themes for people to wrap their ears around and go and do some research about. So there's a lot going on for you guys, mate. So I've said all of that, but what what is your thoughts on on the album Wolf God then? Um, I'm really happy with it. Um, we uh, took a bit of a gamble this time. Uh, which wasn't really gamble in the end, but we decided to uh, do it uh, properly this time, like we did on the first album. Um, hmm. That is to put in all the writing and all the work before we went, we went into the studio to start recording. 
Uh, and that meant that uh, the actual recording uh, went really quickly. Um, and we, um, since we were rehearsed and we had made all the, the decisions about the song structures and everything before, um, we we just recorded takes rather than, you know, f doing drums and then doing guitars and then doing mm. bass and whatever. Uh, and I think it gave the album uh, more groove, uh, more dynamics, and uh, um, it was just a very fun recording this time. And uh, in the past, fun is not the word I would yeah. use to describe <laughs> what we've been doing. Um, and hopefully that comes across in the end result, you know. I haven't lived with it long enough, actually, at the moment to um, to offer an opinion better than that on the album. So I'm actually going to pay close attention to what you've just said then when I do get to know the album a bit better. But what I did yeah. in preparation for the conversation, I um, went on to, I did some research, and of course, what better place is there to find out what's going on in the world than heavy metal than Blabbermouth? So I went on to Blabbermouth, <laughs> and I found a, a quote from you, I think, where you mentioned that you recorded the songs on the first take. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, some of the some of the uh, songs are first takes, and that means that the the drums and the bass and the guitar were recorded at the same time. We were in the same room. Wow! Yeah, I, we were standing next to the drummer, you know, um, and you know we rehearsed the songs, and and when you know them, uh, a first take can be the best take. You know, for some yep. songs it took a bit longer, you know, but. Um, the, the focus was really on takes and if there was a mistake in there somewhere or, you know, something weird sounding, we just decided that, hey, that's usually what makes a song really pop, you know. Mm. Um, so, and for us, this whole mechanical approach, uh, I mean, it, it's worked for us as well, but uh, our music is not that kind of music really, so... Um, it was a conscious uh, decision this time to do it this way, and, and I think it really paid off. Okay, yeah, and yeah, I can definitely hear that part of it. God, it has paid off because it's a very immediate sounding album. So I understand Ooh. now why that why that happened. So thanks for confirming that. So I haven't what I haven't found out though what I couldn't find when I was reading um, through things online was who who helped you with it in terms of the production side of things. Uh, it's a guy called Stefan Karlsson, uh, and uh, he's been actually involved uh, in some of our previous recordings, recording drums, uh, because he's based in Halmstad, where Ludwig, our drummer, lives. Uh, right. and, and he's done stuff for Arch Enemy and Spiritual Beggars and, um, uh, well, a, a lot of other bands. But he's also, um, you know, he's he's been doing a lot of other stuff as well. Um, and he's experienced, you know, and it's not only work with metal. And uh, he's also a very proficient singer, which is a big deal for me when I record vocals. I want to do it with someone who knows about mm. vocals, you know. Uh, so he was just, um, and he turned out to be great to work with. We had, you know, a great rapport and, and uh, there were no... Um, you know, there was no confusion about what we were trying to do and stuff like that. So, mm. uh, all in all, he was uh, a really good choice for this album. 
it actually sounds like it went a little too smoothly from the perspective that there's there's always something a challenge or a problem that that the brains trust needs to work together to help o- overcome so was there anything about working on the album and creating it that was a real challenge for you that was a challenge that you hadn't experienced before well it was a long time since we recorded stuff live like i said uh, on the first album we did that um uh, so that was a challenge. I mean, uh, and it was a bit bit of a gamble because, I mean, obviously we're a live band and mm. we've been playing together for a long time, so we know how to play. But it could have turned out that, um, you know, yeah, sure, we we did a, you know, we did proper takes and everything, but it doesn't really have any bite to it. So mm. we have to go back to the other way of working. So that was a bit of a. Um, you know, it was a bit, I'm not going to say scary, because it. we immediately realized that it was going to work. But, uh, um, and then, I mean, the, there's always the challenge of mixing uh, the album and mastering it, because that's where, um, yeah. you know, the, the final decisions have to be made. And you, you never, I've never been super certain that, it's absolutely right because how could you be uh, <laughs> you know yeah uh, so you just have to go with some kind of gut instinct and uh, but mixing is always a nerve-wracking thing so yeah and and look I'm a musician too so I've had spent I haven't done a lot of it or been associated with a lot of it and I haven't done a lot of things that have ended up on iTunes and Spotify and all the rest of it but the stuff that I have through the years yeah mixing sucks <laughs> Mixing is yeah. because it's you, you you almost have to get to a point where you abandon it as opposed to it's finished. Does that make sense? It's you get to a point where you just step yeah. away from it and go, you know what? It's actually good enough. And what we we can hear yeah. all sorts of things we want to fix with it. But to the fan, can they pick up on these things? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. And and what I think the the uh, the final decision has to be. It has to be made first of all, and and also if it makes you want to listen to it, then it's good, you know. Mm. Uh, even if there might be slight uh, imperfections or you know stuff that you might want to change, but uh, like you say, you you just have to step away from it and say, "All right, we're done," you know. Mm. Um, Indeed, uh, you know that. There's that famous um, story about the the painter who went to the Louvre to uh, you know touch up on his <laughs> yes. on his displayed artwork, you know, and it's like just God's leave it dragging him away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah it, look, it is like that, and and only the artist knows when their work is done. But music is uh, music is one of those things that, like all the rest of art, it is subjective. But as as the artist, as the creator, you've Sometimes, yeah, you just get so attached to these things, like that, like that individual there did, and uh, the Louvre. God, if yeah. your stuff's in the Louvre in France, then you've probably done a pretty bloody good job to begin with. So you know what? You probably don't need to go in there and do what he did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this is a you know a myth, but it's a fun story anyway. Oh yes, yes. Hey, you've uh, you're actually quite a successful band these days, and and, and what I'm saying there is that uh, you've had you've got a quite a lot of albums out but you've got ascendancy meaning that you've got chart success and that started i think back with hammer of the north back in 2010 which i think was released via 
Roadrunner. And you've been with Nuclear Blast for the three albums in between then, of course, this, this album coming up here, Wolf God. So, you know, how does it feel to be a successful musician, especially one playing heavy metal? Is it one of those things that occasionally you sort of have to pinch yourself and look back on the 15-year-old version of yourself that was sort of thinking, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And go, hey, mate, you did it. You're a successful musician. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, there have been many things in, in my life uh, relating to, to what you're saying now that is this actually happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, for, for good and for bad, the uh, humanity's uh, best ability is the ability to adapt, you know? So yep. you, um, you know, you adapt to people liking what you do, um, which is not necessarily good because there's a chance of taking stuff for granted as well, you know? Um, but, um, absolutely. I mean, like you said, when I was 15, uh, to look back now and think that I've actually played with some of my absolute idols, mm. you know, uh, yeah. is it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, uh, um, you know, I'm just very, happy and fortunate that um that it happened that way but you know perseverance is you know uh, these things don't just happen by themselves mm. you know you, you have to really and we've never we've never stopped you know um uh, and i think we found the right people always the right people uh which is I think the key to longevity in a band anyway, if you're not like a one man project, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like a Dave Mustaine or what have you. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've been in forces there with Fox ever since the band started, if I'm, if I'm correct. And you've only really had the three, the the two change, three changes in drummers. I think it's been, was it Ludi or Lud that's been there too for a while there for you, especially through this, this ascendancy that you've been experiencing. But look, you mentioned working with legends there and, and look, Spiritual Beggars. So you spent some time in there, two albums, and you spent about a decade in there, but you were in there for, uh, there was there's two albums released during your tenure. One of the people you worked with was Michael Amott. Now, people of my vintage, of course, remember him from his time primarily in Carcass, but he's had he's had even greater success working with Arch Enemy. So, um, look, if you don't mind me asking, how come you finished up there? In Spiritual Beggars? Sorry, sorry in Spiritual Beggars, I should say, yeah. Yeah, it was... Um... It was actually through a, a mutual friend. Um, we did. Uh, it was the the last proper uh, Grand Magus demo, and uh, a friend of ours. Then he he gave that demo to to Michael, and uh, mm. after a, you know a little uh, you know a while, he uh, because Spice uh, left the band or. You know, he wasn't in the band anymore, and Michael mm-hmm. wanted to to continue with Spiritual Vegas. And I guess he tried a few people and talked to a few people, but he he was really uh, he really liked the the stuff that I did on that demo. And you know, he just called me up and asked if I was interested. And uh, I was a huge Spiritual Vegas fan, so for me it was like I I can't say no to this, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's and that was back in two thousand and one yeah uh, actually around the same time we did our first grand megas album so 
it's a long time ago, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose when the years add up, don't they? I suppose. And what was your what was your reason for for leaving the project? Well, it, it was really only due to time uh, because um, we did, like you said, we did two albums, and then Michael was super busy with Arch Enemy uh, for about f- four or five years, I think, and then around 2010 uh, they wanted to do a new Spiritual Biggest album and at that time we uh, we had signed to uh, this really big label uh, and we were doing Hammer of the North and I was just, you know, it was impossible for me to hmm. do any kind of justice to another yeah. band at the time. Yeah, I get what exactly was saying, Bloody Roadrunner. What was your experiences like over there? Because there are some some bands that, uh, you know, they don't talk all that positively, to be quite honest with you, of the experience. But was it? What, what's your thoughts overall on your, the one album, Hammer of the North, from 2010 with those guys? Well, um, first of all, I tend to be very sceptical about uh, musicians talking about the so-called industry. For me, it's just super boring. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, and I don't... You know, I don't mean to be rude, but I think that you have to separate yourself as an artist from the the kind of um, uh, business side to it. Uh, having said that, we've only had great experiences with all the labels that we've been on, so I don't um, I don't have any. Uh, you know, any bitterness or any bad words to say about any of them. All of them has have helped us to to become what we are today, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And it's it's the way mm. that I think a lot of bands should reframe things. I know there are some horror stories out there, but I think some people of sort of associate their lack of success with something that happened at a record company when it's not really the link that they should be looking at to describe their lack of success. Well put, my friend. <laughs> well, mate, I better make this my last one um, because I know you've probably got another one coming through in a minute or so. Um, but Australia, have we been a strong territory for you and do you get a lot of mail, i.e. social media communication from us? Um, well, first of all, I'm uh, sounding like a really boring old fart here, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a social media uh, active person myself and I've never been. Um, and you're better off for uh, it, don't worry. <laughs> this, you're not missing much. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I think it was, uh, I'm, I'm sure we've been getting reactions from Australia ever since, uh, you know, the, the early days as well. Uh, but things were different back then, you know, for a band to go to Australia in the early 2000s, you had to be, you know, really big. Mm. Um, but on the the previous album we did sword songs uh i uh, we actually got to do quite a few uh interviews uh, like we're doing now and that was the first time really um and i you know i obviously i know people who toured toured australia many times and they have uh, only great things to say about touring there and, and the fans and everything. Um, but we've never really had a feasible, um, you know, yeah, an offer to, to come down. Yeah, gotcha. yeah to, to come. Yeah. Up. I mean, we're, we're working on it, and 
there are some possibilities, uh, but um, you know, if if we could just teleport ourselves over there <laughs> and do <laughs> some gigs, I would do that now. You know, but yeah. Obviously, there's more to it than that. So, um, but fingers crossed, we'll we'll um, we will uh, you know try and get over there. I hope it happens. There's definitely an, an audience down here for you. That's for sure. You yeah, occasionally cool. see some yeah, t-shirts cool. at gigs. So just, yeah, I, I hope uh, an offer through um, Soundworks or Hardline Media or one of those got those lot there come through. And look, I'm sure it will because on the strength of certainly what I've heard on the album here, um, as soon as you're given an opportunity, I'll be releasing this as a, as a podcast episode. So when people hear about me talking about the album and your answers to questions and then, you know, we'll talk up the album a little bit, that'll get people excited. And uh, cool. hopefully that's, the offers will come great. down. Yeah, that's but, great, mate. But mate, thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, congratulations on an epic career so far, and long may you continue to do what you're doing. All right, thanks, mate. Thanks, brother. No thanks worries. a lot. Gotcha. Bye bye. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A List Online. My name is Andrew Mackay Smith, and that interview subject you just heard from is Yanni J B Christofferson from the Swedish outfit Grant Margus. Thank you so much for listening.